Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and today, welcome to Resilience Unraveled, the next series, the next chapter. And with me, not just Steve, not just Steve Gardner, but Dr. Steve Gardner, in front of me as he lives and breathes. Stephen Gardner, so lovely to see you today. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Russell, right back at you. Thank you. Very good. I can detect from the accent, because I'm good at this, that you're from another place. Where are you in the world today? I am speaking to you from New England, Ooh. or as you might refer to it as the colonies. Yes, the colonial but, uh, commoners. Yeah. So I, I'm in the Boston area, uh, specifically in the in the town of Salem, Mass. Oh yes, I know it well. Salem, Salem, yeah, yeah. yeah well, all the witches and all that sort of stuff. And that's right. In fact, that's we were right. out there a couple of years ago, and one of the best diners I've ever been to was in Salem. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, fantastic. I anyway, think, I, I think it's fallen on hard times. Yes, well, uh, it's, it's not. <laughs> somebody's yeah. trying. Try, somebody's trying to move the diner to the roof of a building. Really. And, re- and recreate it, but I don't think they've gotten too far. Oh, blimey. Well, before um, I get myself thoroughly distracted into one of my fondest topics, which is the contents of my stomach, shall we go on and chat chat more? So, um, yeah. Stephen, Stephen, tell us a bit about yourself and um, what it is you do. Russell, I am a primary care internist, and that means uh, I take care of adults with a whole range of issues. I work at a great academic hospital in Boston, Massachusetts General Hospital. Oh, wow. uh, but I also have a, a gig on the side, which is that I'm one of the doctors at a special camp on Martha's Vineyard, a camp for people with disabilities. And for the last 25 summers, minus last year with the pandemic, I've been lucky enough to go down there and take care of people with a wide range of disabilities and abilities. Yeah. Uh, I was introduced to the place because my own son, my only son, was born with cerebral palsy. Uh, he could he could not speak he couldn't uh, walk required help for everything and luckily for him and for his mom and me he was accepted as a camper at this place called Jabberwocky and uh, I sort of wrote his coattails in there and became one of the docs and for 13 summers we got to spend much of the summer on this beautiful island with an eclectic group of campers and volunteers really enjoying um the magic of summertime in New England, the beach, horseback riding. Um, 
And in this place, we, we laughed a lot. We learned that we want to take our silliness very seriously when possible. And um, we became part of a very unique family. And I, I write about that family in my book called Jabberwocky. So it's a, family, it's a family of people with and without disabilities who come together in the summertime in this beautiful place and form a community. They laugh together, they eat together, they write together, they embrace each other, and they care deeply about one another by the end of that time and create something that we have come to call Jabberwocky love. Okay, brilliant. Well, there's tons to unpack from what yeah. you started off with. So let's let's start with the um, let's start with just understanding a little bit more about, uh, if I may, given that we've got a doctor in yeah. our midst, um, it would be fascinating to know more about cerebral palsy and how that condition manifests is like, what it's like for the person with it and for the family. How, how does that work? How does that pan out? Cerebral palsy or CP is really a wastebasket basket term. Right. So it, it encompasses a wide range of insults to the brain and the nervous system, ranging from very mild to very severe. Yeah. So very mild, you might just see somebody walk down the street with a little trace of a limp, but they speak they have jobs, they do fine in other areas. But in a severe form, cerebral palsy um, can really damage the brain more profoundly. And those people are unable to speak for themselves. They need to use assistive technology. Typically they're in wheelchairs and they rely on other people for just about everything. What's, what's interesting though, is that most of them are cognitively quite fine. Right. Their mentation is pretty normal. Um, their emotions are completely normal. So even though they look disabled because they're in a chair, uh, they're really all there right. as, human, as human beings. Uh, in the past, the notion was that cerebral palsy was caused by birth trauma. Right. But I think it's turning out that most cases of CP are probably caused by some insult during pregnancy a toxin, a virus, or typically an unknown insult that happens to the mom who may be completely unaware of anything wrong yeah. during, her, during her pregnancy. And so how, how did your son, I believe, how did, he, how did he cope with this situation thrown at him? Because kids are by nature incredibly resilient, A, because they've got a fantastic support network, but also yeah. they have that silliness, that ability to play, that ability to bounce back. It's, you see it in its most natural state in a sense. So... How, how, how did he deal with it? Now, you know, he, he had some sort of inherent dignity uh, and radiance that just allowed him to never be, um, you know, to never be resentful, uh, even though he had to rely on us for just about everything. Uh, he just radiated something beautiful, some warmth, some kindness, some love all the time. And I've tried to describe that in my book, which is really a memoir about him. He lived 22 years and then he passed away just shy of his 23rd birthday while we were swimming in a swimming pool uh, from a seizure, an epileptic seizure. Right. And unfortunately, even as a, as a seasoned physician, I was unable to uh, resuscitate him. That must've been heartrending, yeah. was it? Yeah, I, I don't recommend that for anybody. Um, First of all, you know, losing somebody we love that much is the harshest reality any of us deal with. And, but to lose him in that way was particularly, you know, traumatic. Yes. Um, 
I ironically, I, I mean, I'd spent 22 years worrying about him whenever he wasn't with me, Yeah. whenever he was with other people. And then curiously and ironically, he was with me when he passed away. But the, the latter part of my book is about the legacy that he, he left. And when we have time, and I'd like to tell you more about that. Well, no, no please continue. I'm, I, I'm fascinated to find out more. So, I mean, the first, the first thing that kind of got his mom's attention and mine was when we started receiving condolence cards. And they started to come in, uh, in grocery bags after a while. We ended up getting something like 1,500 condolence cards. And so we, we began to realize that our son's reach had been much broader than we realized. And he, he had touched a lot of people along the way. Right. People who were typically assigned to take care of him. But uh, he had actually paradoxically given them a wonderful gift in return that they carried with them and still carry with them now. Um, so his, uh, his legacy was a legacy of love and kindness and the notion that in this world, um, we support one another. We're all part of one community and one family. We don't leave anybody by the side of the road. We all have value. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's incredible and it's fascinating. I mean, as a doctor, we often have this impression, often, often a lot of doctors do, they have a slight, how can I put this, um, sense that they can save everybody. And I mean, we used to, surgeons yeah. often have the God complex, don't they? But doctors <laughs> are slightly more uh, grounded. But how was that? With all your skills, all your training, all your, you know, your abilities, you're sort of helpless. That, that's a very humbling experience, I suppose. Very humbling, indeed. Um, I mean, in primary care, we don't often make, you know, dramatic saves of lives. Yeah. Um, we hope that we help people control their sugar and their blood pressure and their weight and their smoking. And eventually maybe we help them in the long run. But uh, yeah, that, the way that Graham was his name, the way that Graham passed away was traumatic and shocking. And uh, I almost felt, I, I describe in the book that I almost felt an out of body experience when it was happening because I performed CPR on him on the floor of the swimming pool facility, a YMCA. And it was almost as if I looked at myself from the ceiling and watched, watched myself pumping on his chest yeah. and, and blowing air in his mouth. Um, and eventually the firefighters came, a team of EMTs came and took over. And I sort of found myself back on the floor again, back in my own body. But for those few moments, it was a very surreal. Yes, and, it must uh, be unpleasant experience yes that's fascinating and, and how do you come back from that i mean how do you build your own resilience from that because it's a hell of a shock there's grief attached um you're obviously dealing with other members of the family and part of you wants to know that you knew there was a, a reduced longevity i suppose in terms of lifespan yeah it's 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 that way isn't it where so how, how do you build how, do, how does your resilience help you I think the biggest part of that had to do with making a decision. Right. And the decision was to return to Jabberwocky or not. So the, the, the argument against returning to Jabberwocky was that it was going to be painful without him. I was going to see familiar scenes where we'd had adventures and laughter and lovely, lovely experiences. And it was going to be painful yeah. to be there without him. But on the other side, his mom and I both knew that by going back to that special place, by being among that special sort of surrogate family, 
that we would be nurtured and cared for and loved in a unique way that would probably see us through more than anything else we could think of. So we, we decided to go back. Okay. And so tell me about Camp Jabberwocky then. So yeah, it's obviously in Martha's Island. Where, how did it get set up? What's its, what's its background? Yeah. So Camp Jabberwocky was one of the first sleepover camps for people with disabilities, serious disabilities, starting back in 1953 long before the role of people with disabilities in society started to get, started to improve, a woman uh, from the UK who was an actress on the stage in London at the end of World War II uh, by the name of Helen Lamb came to the US and was working as a speech therapist in a blue collar town outside Boston called Fall River. And in her capacity as a speech therapist, she went to the homes of children with cerebral palsy and other disabilities who were in wheelchairs. It really ticked her off, didn't just frustrate her, but it ticked her off, it made her angry that these kids were spending summers in the darkened parlors of their families' homes and, and rarely seeing the light of day. So she had kind of an epiphany and she decided she would take a few of those kids to a unique place and allow them to enjoy the same joys of summertime as able-bodied kids. And she had an instinct that this place might be on an island off the coast of Massachusetts, uh, just six miles away from Cape Cod. So in the summer of 1953, she got on a ferry and she took three of these little kids in wheelchairs with one helper, very little money, and not very much of a plan either about what was gonna happen when she got onto the island. But she had just a faith, a belief that when she got there, it was all going to work out and that the island was going to embrace her idea. And indeed they did. And now 68 years later, it's still going strong. Mm. It's become very much a part of the fabric of that island. It has. And, yeah. and often these places are started by these remarkable people. I know it was her nickname is Hellcat, which I thought was a, 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 <laughs> exactly. great, a great thing. And... Um, so she created something special, didn't she? Because it's, it's, it's possible to create something that's a caring, nurturing organization. But she seemed to have found some sort of ma magic pixie dust somewhere. So, so, so what, what was that, do you think? Well, I think, you know, sort of spiritually, uh, to, to quote from uh, Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, the one thing that really changes the world is when one person gets the idea that love can abound and be shared. So that certainly applied to her. But it also, there was, there was another element to her that was equally important. And that was her embracing the idea of silliness and fun right. and la laughter and a willingness to sort of take chances and, and dare ourselves to fail or look funny, uh, but do it anyway and know that we were doing it, we're doing it with the support of the other people at camp. Um, so I think both, both of those elements were part of her ethos. Uh, the idea that, that um, love can abound and be shared and also the idea that we, can, we really need to laugh together, laugh at one another, laugh at ourselves, mm. be, silly, be silly as much as we can. And do you think, do you think silliness and laughter and such like is 
is an important part of resilience. I mean, I understand why it is for kids, but what yeah. about for adults? I mean, I, I do, I believe it is, but what's your view? Yeah, I, I, you're probably aware of this. I think, I think there's a science behind it. Yeah, there is. Uh, you probably know more than I do about it, but I think uh, laughter and humor reduce some of our stress hormones like cortisol, yeah. Yeah. and they, they elevate some of our feel-good hormones like oxytocin and some of the endorphins. Yeah. So there's probably a physiologic basis for it. Um, but I think it just also increases our humanity. Uh, for example, if there's a hierarchy where there's a doctor up here and a janitor down there, the hierarchy sort of dissolves yeah. uh, when, you, when you have fun with each other. And I think that's, that's where my nickname originated as Dr. Steve. Uh, they didn't need to know my last name. Yeah. It was a part of the, inf the informality of it. Uh, just made it a natural thing for them to call me Dr. Steve. And so what did you do? What was your role? I mean, obviously by the sound of it, a doctor, but obviously your son was there, Graham was there as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So ordinarily, uh, Camp Jabberwocky loves to kick out the parents as quickly as possible so they don't meddle with everything. But in my case, I got an exemption because I was the camp doc. Um, so most of my responsibilities were relatively mundane, are still relatively mundane. First aid, rashes, the occasional minor laceration. Um, but underneath that all, most of the campers do have pretty serious underlying issues. Um, some of them are on feeding tubes. Many of them can't yeah. talk. Many of them can't talk. A lot of them are on uh, a plethora of medications. So, so monitoring all that is part of the responsibility as the camp doc. Um, but being there with my son, I also took the liberty of going with camp whenever they had adventures. Right. So if they went horseback riding, I got to go to the stable, uh, hang around, take pictures. Uh, if they were in the theater putting on um, a musical, sometimes I'd get on stage myself or I'd play a little piano. So I was lucky enough to uh, engross myself in sort of the rhythms of the camp independent of being the doc mm. uh, in my unique role as, uh, as Graham's father and the camp doctor. Brilliant. And so, I mean, you've, you've written a book, you've called it Jabberwocky, which is a great... Yeah. sort of um, homage to the whole enterprise, really, and to your son's part of it. So tell me, I mean, it's obvious what the inspiration is, but just, you know, sort of recap that for us. Yeah. So, so I, I think your viewers and listeners are aware that Jabberwocky was sort of the quintessential nonsense poem. Um, so it's filled with wonderful images with interesting names like Slithy Toves, Bandersnatch, Jub Jub, Mamarath's. And the cabins around the camp all have a name based on one of those, you know, the colorful images from the poem. Um, I can't say for sure what Hellcat's reasoning was for naming the camp Jabberwocky. I think part of it was that she thought maybe life itself is a little bit absurd. Yeah. And why some people are born with a disability and some are not is, you know, cannot be discerned. But the reason I really picked the title is that for me, Jabberwocky is something else. It's really a, a philosophy of living. 
which I learned at the camp, which I first saw at the camp. And that is a philosophy in which we have open hearts and open minds and we embrace one another's differences. We support one another, we laugh together, we create together. Sometimes we cry together, occasionally we argue, but in the end we support one another, we embrace our differences and we hopefully develop this magical thing called Jabberwocky love. Mm. And by the way, the one question we all have when we leave camp, uh, whether, we, whether it's explicit or otherwise, as we get on the ferry to go back home at the end of the summer, we all wonder the same thing. Why can't the real world be more like yes. Camp Jabberwocky? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. And so you've yeah. written the book and it's called, just tell yeah. us. So that book is called Jabberwocky. Yeah. A sub subtitle, Lessons of Love from a Boy Who Never Spoke. And it's going to be released on May 18th on Amazon. It'll be available everywhere after May 18th. Yes. Yeah, I see it's already in the Amazon UK bookshop. So your yeah. publicist is working hard. Good, and, good. Uh, excellent. And, and reading this book, they're going to get a, a sense of Graham's legacy, Graham's journey, Graham's life, and the whole Camp Jabberwocky experience. Do you draw any conclusions about why can't real life be more like Camp Jabberwocky? Is, is, uh, did you ever come up with an answer? <laughs> I'm afraid not. Um, I mean, I think it's a, it's a little bit like the the humor issue, the, the laughter issue that we talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, there's that research that shows that babies laugh 300 times a day and mm -hmm. Adults laugh 20 times a day, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so life gets serious. Uh, we become consumed by our careers and our bills and uh, the tedium of our day-to-day -day lives. And it, it's hard to maintain that spirit uh, of whimsicality and playfulness and fun from day to day. Um, it's easy to maintain it at Jabberwocky because that's what it's all about. Yeah. But when we get home, there's a lot of outside forces that try to chip away at it and take it away, take it away from us. Maybe, and maybe part of the resilience is the fact that life isn't like it. So it is unique and it's special. It's when you leave, you can treasure the memories and enjoy it and relive it. And then you go through the mid-year and then of course you start the anticipation of what's coming next. And so it creates a sort of sense of purpose and a beautiful sort of yeah. cycle of, um, resilience, hope, humor, difference. I mean, it's, it's giving meaning, isn't it, in a way? Indeed. Uh, those of us who are lucky to be part of Camp Jabberwocky make every effort to stay in touch the rest of the year, mm -hmm. to your point, so we can try to keep that spirit alive. Yeah. And uh, the pandemic notwithstanding, we try to get together off the island, if possible, at music concerts or sports events or just at people's homes and uh, try to keep that spirit bubbling along until next summer to the best of our ability. Uh, this, this, this year, Zoom, Zoom has turned out to be a terrific tool. Yes. Not, not as nearly as good as being together, yeah. but at least it's offered us an opportunity to see one another pretty much every day. Yeah, and it's the best of second best, isn't it? Because as you say, yeah. you reach out to a lot of people who can physically, you'll, you'll be reaching out to a different audience, I'm sure. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, okay, so that book is called Jabberwocky. It's available on Amazon from the 18th, you said, of May. It's uh, yeah. available at all good bookshops, book competitively priced, and it sounds absolutely brilliant. So, Stephen, thanks very much for spending time with us today. It's absolutely brilliant and for sharing 
the story, your story and the story of your son. It's, it's remarkable. Russell, thanks for having me from over here in the colonies. I appreciate, appreciate you having That's me okay. on. We let you have a voice every now and then. We've <laughs> sort of forgiven you now. <laughs> uh, you take care. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Keep up the good work. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.